Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen... Hello and welcome to The Complete Works, an in-depth look at the career and filmography of Nicolas Cage. Wait a minute, that's not right. This is Mike and Mike go to the movies. My name is Mike Smith. Joining me, as always, is a man who asked that when I bring him out, could I introduce him as a Cageaholic? <laughs> uh, wow, first off. Second <laughs> off, it took me... It took me way longer into that intro to realize it was not the correct intro <laughs> um, <laughs> that I would like to admit. Uh, yeah. Um, man, it feels good to be back, though. Yeah, we're kind of doing a, an old school Nicolas Cage Complete Works episode, sort of. We'll discuss that in a minute. All the theme songs <laughs> you're going to hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. If you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did in the show, you can email us over at movies at gmail.com. So today we'll be doing some discussions, and then after that, we're going to move straight into a review of Color Out of Space, a new H.P. Lovecraft adaptation directed by Richard Stanley and starring none other than our boy, Nicolas Cage. Uh, now, Mike, of course, we used to host a uh, Nicolas Cage podcast back in the day, uh, which by back in the day, I mean about two months ago or whatever, or whatever it was. <laughs> so, I mean, going coming back to this movie, we were both like, yeah, I mean, Colorado Space, movie we were both looking forward to. We kind of wanted to cover. Not really any other big releases coming out in February. Might as well go cover this one. From, like, might go to the movies and say it's like sort of a Complete Works episode, right? Yeah, why not? Uh, we, we said that we were going to do bonus episodes uh, for Complete Works. And uh, like, yeah, sure, this counts. <laughs> yeah. We'll do both. <laughs> yeah, this kind of counts. Why not? And uh, by the way, the Complete Works isn't over by any means. Of course, our new podcast just launched which is called Jeff Goldblum, a Complete Works podcast, uh, which you can subscribe to now on Apple Podcasts and other places too. Uh, so definitely check that out if you have not yet. Uh, but if you were a fan of our Nicolas Cage podcast and you want to know our thoughts on Colorado Space, you're in luck because that's what we're <laughs> reviewing today, <laughs> in fact. Uh, so it's kind of a Mike might go to the movies episode because we'll do discussions and stuff like that. But then we're going to structure our featured review as if it is an episode of The Complete Works. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and Mike, you had an adventure going to see this movie uh, on Sunday, right? You uh, kind of went out into the city, and uh, what was your experience like? Yeah, it was very strange. I went to, uh, it was playing at one theater, precisely one theater in Manhattan still. Uh, <laughs> so that was tough, and I went there, and it was the smallest little, like, it was three screens I think they had. And uh, you came up the stairs, so it was upstairs, and, and when you come up, like, you you know, kind of like, like loop-de-loop kind of thing, when you cut the stairs turn around and enter the, the door for the theater you're underneath the screen it was the it was the most intimidating moment of my life where you kind of like oh man like the darkness like that transition from out like out in the lobby area through the dark hallway yeah and that you come up into the theater and there's just 10 rows of people like looking at you because <laughs> you just <laughs> walked in in the <laughs> right in the front of the, <laughs> the theater um and it was tiny like it was it was 10 rows maybe and like maybe six or seven chairs long each row. Yeah. Uh, so, and it was tiny and it was packed like, you know, for a really? Sunday at 6 PM. Yeah. It was very crowded and it was strange as hell though. The, the screen, yeah. it was one of those things where the screen was really small because it was close. <laughs> so okay. 
like to simulate what it would look like big far away the small but up close kind of deal yeah you know but it, it was pretty cool it, it was an interesting nice. experience uh you know maybe maybe won't go back there unless i have to uh, right <laughs> but but it, it, that seems like the perfect environment to see this movie in actually like honestly yeah <laughs> yeah there's one one thing i'll talk about later on uh about that about that, that like this environment, you know, okay. and for this movie. Cool. Yeah. I, I also, I just love the imagery of you walking into the theater and just the entire theater staring at you as you're walking in. I picture, yeah. I picture them motionless, like with their eyes glowing green, like staring directly at you. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of thing where you're like, all right, I got to put my phone in my pocket. I got to juggle my soda and my candy and like, oh, everything's situated. And then you look up and there's just like, I don't know, 30 people staring at you because you just yeah. walked in the front. <laughs> They're like, oh, no. Uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I did not have that experience. Uh, actually, Color of Outer Space was playing uh, here at the uh, Roxy Theater in, uh, in Missoula, Montana, which is the indie theater right near my house. Uh, and so I went to go see that about two weeks ago. And uh, I went there, like, it was only playing, like, one showtime a day for about a week. Uh, and so I, like, made it, like, my mission to go see it. Like, I knew I had to go see this movie, and I did, and then it started playing for, like, an extra week. And I was like, well, I guess I could have yeah. put it off a little bit, but if I didn't if I didn't see it immediately, who knows what would have happened. I probably wouldn't have kept playing. <laughs> right. You were the ticket. You were the guy. I was the guy that pushed it over the edge. So, yeah, that's uh, Color Out of Space. We'll be talking about that movie a lot in a little bit. Before we get into it, we got to talk about some discussions. Watch this. All right, it's time for some discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Mike, what do you have to discuss with us today? I got a couple things uh, to discuss, but first off, I just want to shout out a movie that I watched uh, alone on Valentine's Day because sometimes you just need a date with yourself. Sure. And you texted me and called me out <laughs> that <laughs> I was watching The Mummy, the 1999 uh, Brendan Fraser version, of course, the one and only. Yes. Uh, and you texted me that I watched that movie, it seems, every six months. And yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I do. And, and every time you, with that? every time you watch it, you always bring it up on the podcast, too, which is my favorite thing. It's like, oh, by the way, I watched this movie, The Mummy. Uh, do you guys know about this? Still holds up. I don't up. know if you heard about it. It's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, still still holds up. It's great. Yeah, I, I would love to have Colin check the minutes on how many times you've brought up The Mummy on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, if you Go. included film bookcast, it'd be a lot, I'm yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's incredible. So, yep. yeah, the uh, 1999 version of The Mummy. Check it out. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> and then, uh, my actual discussions that I have. Uh, I've been watching the new HBO show, uh, The Outsider. So you like little boys, Coach? Okay, stop. Just tell us why Terry's here. Lay it all out. Or I go right to the press and I say, you've arrested a leading citizen, ruined his reputation, terrified his wife and children, but won't tell us why. For starters, fingerprints. My fingerprints? Mm-hmm. On Frank Peterson's body, in the van. In what van? The van you used to abduct him. On his bike, which we found in the back of the van, and on the branch you used to sodomize him. Holy shit. Wouldn't be the first time fingerprints were planted. Oh, a few, maybe, but 70, 80, and in blood? Yeah, and we got a slew of witnesses each of whom identified him out of a photo array without hesitation. You know the definition of a witness, Ralph, right? A person who thought they saw something. 
Yeah, so this is a new uh, kind of uh, police procedural, dark, uh, gritty drama series based on a Stephen King book, I believe. It stars Ben Mendelsohn, uh, Cynthia Erivo uh, from Harriet, and uh, a, a couple other people that, like, I kind of recognize character actor-wise, but I'd, uh, the, one of the detectives from The Night Of, I think, uh, is the lawyer. Okay. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, Patty Considine's actually in it. Oh. Uh, Edgar Wright uh, favorite. Um Sure. Yeah, and it was really funny. Like, I watched the first episode. Well, for, first off, it's great. Uh, I love the show. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> and it's only, I think, 10 episodes, so it's, like, right in that sweet spot of, like, just give me that limited series. Like, we right. have a start and an end, and then we know where we're going, and we don't have to do any of that wasting time bullshit. Uh, and it's this creepy, weird, it starts off, you know, this, like, pretty simple, straightforward procedural thing. And then I was watching it with my mom. I watched the first uh, seven episodes on, <laughs> on demand on Saturday and Sunday with my mom. And uh, she was like, man, this seems like pretty open and shut. Like, I don't really get what's like, what's going to happen. And then like 20 minutes later, we were like, oh, right. Stephen King shit. Here we go. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> it gets weird as hell. And it's and it's dark and strange. And it was a lot of fun. But so the first episode ends and the credits are rolling and like Patty Considine's name comes up. And I'm like, what? Where, who is he? Like, where'd that come from? That's crazy. And then the second episode happens, and then it happened again. I was like, what the f- where was Patty Considine in this episode? <laughs> and then eventually I just went on IMDb and was like, oh, he's this dude. He, lo- he looks so different, which is strange. Really? Yeah, at least to me. I missed him twice uh, or in two episodes, <laughs> two full episodes. Yeah, so that's that's The Outsider. It's on HBO. There, I think the eighth episode just aired this week okay. uh, or this past weekend. So it's coming up on the, the finale. Uh, definitely, definitely recommend if you're a fan of those kind of like true detective style dark police procedural things then i have two blu-ray picks uh one is mausoleum which i picked up at uh during vinegar syndrome's black friday sale uh way to call me out colin on uh <laughs> all of my discussions being blu-ray <laughs> sale pickups i just got a delivery from arrow of eight blu-rays so that'll be yes, the discussions for the next six months <laughs> i don't even want to know how much you spent on that but i think it was in the triple digits uh, uh i mean yeah <laughs> But, but, but tax credit or tax sure. refund, so worth it. Yeah, hey, you, you might know. as well just burn through that. Yeah, some people would spend it on a vacation. Yeah. And you're spending it on Blu-rays. That's great. Hey, treat yourself, you know. Yeah. But back to vinegar syndrome and mausoleum. Um, this is uh, from 1983, and this is just fucking bonkers, dude. It's the story about uh, this woman whose family is cursed, and uh, her family name is the Nomads. Right. That's her her family names, which, if you okay. noticed, is demon spelled backwards. <laughs> it's the troll two uh, technique, which. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nilbog. Nilbog. It's goblin backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the level this movie's on, um, at least in terms of its storytelling. But it's got amazing creature effects and really great gore. Uh and it's and it's like just crazy. Like this woman, like her, her family's cursed and she starts turning into a demon, but she's trying to hide it. And her f- husband doesn't know. And the psychologist is involved. And like, let's try hypnotism and all this weird 80s, like new age shit going on. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And it's, you know, kind of goofy. This would be a great midnight movie kind of deal. Um, there's a, including a scene where uh, the woman turns into the, a demon in a kind of uh, The Shining-esque transformation while she's naked making out with somebody, right? Like okay. that kind of moment. Uh, and then her boobs have faces on them, and they eat the dude's heart out. <laughs> while they're <laughs> So 
or yes or no. Like I, I mean, wanna, I'm in. You, that sounds amazing. Yeah, That's, there you go. <laughs> you had me at boobs have faces on them. I'm like, yes. Right? <laughs> Sign me up. I'm sold. Yeah, so Mausoleum, I mean, it's definitely got some of that weird uh, 80s problematic stuff going on, but like... Sounds hey, like man. it. Yeah, yeah, but it's a lot of fun. A lot of just like juicy monster effects. So worth it for my cool. <laughs> for my money. And then my next pick is a much a little bit more classier, uh, and that is from Criterion, a Criterion pick, and this is uh, Madawan from 1987. What's your name, son? They calls me Few Clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come here looking for no trouble. The men's got to eat. So why don't you go eat back where you come from? They told me that they was jobs here. Go home, nigger. Goddamn scab. You watch your mouth, Tuckerwood. I've been called nigger, and I can't help that the way white folks is, but I ain't never been called no scab. And I ain't fixing the start up now. I go ton for ton loading coal with any man here. When I do, I expect the same dollar for the same work. You got this holler alive, son. You'd be doing good for yourself. Yes, this is uh, directed by John Sales and uh, directed and written by John Sales, I think, actually. And this is uh, a dramatization of a coal miner strike in, I think, 1920 or the 20s, at least, in West Virginia, in Matawan, West Virginia. And, uh... It stars Chris Cooper and apparently his first role, which is crazy. I really he seems like he's one of those. Uh, yeah. In 1987, I was like, what? I thought he's yeah. been around since the 50s. Like, he's like one of those guys that's just <laughs> been in everything and just looks like he's Chris been around Cooper's since like 50s? 90 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but you know what I mean? He just looks like he's one of those guys like sure, Peter okay. Fonda or something. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so this he plays the the guy the union sends to this this coal town to uh, unionize and organize the the, the miners on strike, and uh, David Strayhorn's in it also as like the kind of uh, police chief and James Earl Jones, uh, so it's got this pretty cool like star studded uh, you know late eighties cast and it's it's just really good it's just like a kind of uh, you know like all American like labor rights uh, rallying right. cry movie. So, yeah, that's that's Madawan. I definitely recommend it. It's really cool. Uh, I don't know if it's available. to. Sh- I think it's available to rent on Amazon maybe right now. OK, but I have the Blu-ray. It's available on Blu-ray, at least. You just want to brag, brag about the fact you have the Blu-ray is basically what you're saying. Right? <sighs> I mean, <laughs> no, but I, ha- I yes, because I need to start watching all of them. <laughs> I just keep buying them. Yeah, this, and then been, this has been a, such a like, busy well, month. You know, yeah, it's been such a busy month for Blu-ray sales. Specifically, I mean, we were talking about this before. You bought like a bunch of Arrow video stuff. So did I. Uh, not nearly as much as you did, but uh, I, I bought like three Arrow video stuff. And Criterion just had their flash sale today, actually, as of this recording. And uh, Scream, yeah. Scream Factory had like their '90s sale or whatever, which I bought a couple of those too. So yeah, this all the Blu-ray uh, labels just decided to you know have their sales at the same time. Like, thanks guys for thanks. <laughs> doing that cool. to us. Yep, Vinegar Syndrome had their Valentine's Day sale two weeks ago. Great, oh, yeah. awesome. There you go. Um, but all right, that's uh, that's what you got, Mike. Yes, that's all my things. All right, cool. So those are your discussions, and uh, I've got a few uh, recent releases I wanted to uh, throw out there, Mike. Uh, mostly not great stuff, but I'm gonna go in like <laughs> ascending order, like from worst to best kind of thing. Here. Okay, uh, interesting. So first off, I want to talk about uh, the new movie called Fantasy Island, uh, which is terrible. Today, it's, it's a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> no, this is. Uh, are you familiar with Fantasy Island, the TV show, Mike? 
I mean, like in a cultural osmosis kind of way. Yeah, basically the same way. Like I know vaguely what the show is about. I knew it was about an island where fantasies come true. I mean, it's all there in the title. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I know, you know, pigs. stuff like De Plane, De Plane. And I know like the uh, guy's name, <laughs> Pigs. <laughs> and I know that the uh, the guy's name is Tattoo and that kind of thing. Like I know like these like vague bullet points from Fantasy Island, like culturally speaking. Uh, and this movie is a horror movie adaptation of Fantasy Island, which is not like, I mean, I know it was an anthology show and I think there was like some horror elements every once in a while in it, but it, for the most part, it was not a horror TV show from what I understand right. about Fantasy Island. So this is a, a Blumhouse produced horror movie uh, directed by Jeff Wadlow, who directed a movie a couple years ago called Truth or Dare, um, which was also bad, but bad in like kind of a trashy fun way. Like I could see getting enjoyment out of Truth or Dare. It's one that I laughed at a lot when I watched it. So, you know, there is that aspect to it. He also directed Kick-Ass 2, which is really bad. Uh, so Jeff, wow. Jeff Ladlow, not somebody who I would consider a good filmmaker. And I think Fantasy Island is his worst movie that I've seen. Uh, wow. This is really bad. It's, you know, it's a horror movie version of Fantasy Island. So basically it starts off with, you know, these, this plane arriving in and like this like group of people uh, have arrived to have their fantasies foretold. And then they start going wrong in horrible ways. And there's no sense of urgency or like, storytelling technique here it just kind of like as far as just like editing together a story goes like this movie is just about two hours long and it's like dude this had this needed to be this needed the chopping ball cut it needed a 75 minute <laughs> you know that's what we say it, it really did though and you know it's one of those things where it's like the fantasy happens and you follow like one group of characters and then you follow a different group of characters and then you follow a different group and then you follow a different group and then you just cycle back to the first group and then you kind of just repeat that for like an hour and a half until they finally start to coalesce toward the end of the movie. But it's like, there's no sense of like rhythm to the editing or no, no sense of like storytelling progression in any of these uh, things. So you're basically just watching like 10 minutes of a fantasy each. It feels like, like four or five different episodes of fantasy Island just kind of pushed together. Uh, and you know, if I was watching just one of those, I could see maybe it working, <laughs> you know, if I was <laughs> watching one group uh, on fantasy Island and like their fantasy starts to go wrong and horror movie shit starts happening uh, I could see that being a thing, like maybe, but, and I kind of like the way it's some of it kind of connects towards the end. Um, but then there's just like the dumbest twists imaginable at the end of this movie. It's actually like laughable watching it. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's like a lot of like decent actors are in this. Michael Pena is in this movie as a uh, Rourke, who is like the head of fantasy Island. And uh, Michael Rooker is in this movie. Uh, nice. And I have no idea what he was doing in this movie. It's just, his role. <laughs> His role makes no sense. Once you've seen the movie, the role makes no sense at all what he's doing there. Uh, Ryan Hansen for Party Down and the guy who played John Yu on Silicon Valley are also in this movie. Uh, and Lucy Hale, who's the star of the movie, I think she was on Pretty Little Liars. Um, you know, actually, I, I know she was on Pretty Little Liars because my girlfriend is, was a fan of that show and that's the reason she wanted to go see this movie. Not to throw anybody under the bus or anything, but... Uh, <laughs> but... but yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really really dumb. It's a really like you know even I and I have a pretty high threshold for you know really dumb silly horror movies. Like, I can usually enjoy them. Uh, and Fantasy Island, like there's a couple of stuff where I kind of laughed at, like chuckled or whatever. But it's it's real bad. Also has like one of the dumbest, most like it like weirdly fan pandering endings I've ever seen. And it's you know, but it's not like a Star Wars movie where it's like there are people who care about Star Wars. Like, nobody cares <laughs> about Fantasy Island, you know? Like, people remember it. People remember it, like, from the 70s or whatever. Like, it was a TV show that was on. But it's not like yeah. a show with, like, a devout fan base that's going to be like, oh, shit! Uh, and so instead, it just feels like, oh, okay. Like, this is a thing now. <laughs> yes, like, that's... <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'll tell you what it is off the air. So, uh, I mean, I don't really care about spoiling this movie for anybody because it is that dumb, but it, it's just, it's whatever. It's Fantasy Island, and I do not recommend people go to see it. It is, it is quite bad. <laughs> wow, look at that. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, unless like 30 years from now, Vinegar Syndrome releases a disc, you'll probably watch it at that point, but... <laughs> I mean, let's be real. <laughs> um, but anyway, speaking of uh, kind of dumb horror movies that I have a high threshold for, I did also go see Brahms, The Boy 2, uh, this past weekend. <laughs> and you know what? I actually thought it was okay. It's it's fine. It's, it is what wow. it is. Uh, so I, I, I just watched The Boy for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And that was one where um, I, remember, I remember when The Boy was coming out. I thought it looked kind of dumb. I didn't go see it. Uh, I think that was like pre-movie pass. So it was like one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to spend money on this movie. <laughs> I'm going to wait. a fool. Yeah. And then like a year later when like movie pass happened, I'd be like, okay, if the boy came out now, I'd probably go see it. And now we're post movie pass, but I have like the AMC unlimited thing and everything. So, you know, it's, I'm still in that zone. Um, right. And thus I went to go see Brahms the boy too. Uh, but uh, the boy I watched recently and I thought it was actually a pretty solid little movie. It's not great by any means, but like, you know, it's, it's kind of doing some solid stuff, like kind of some solid setup stuff. And then there's a twist that happens towards the end of the movie where it's like, whoa, okay, this was really, really cool. Like, that's a solid twist. And I'm really curious, like now that I know they're making the boy too, I'm like, how can they possibly build off of this twist? And it turns out they don't because this movie is a fundamental betrayal of everything that happened in the original The Boy. <laughs> uh, now, do you think this might have been one of those cases where they're like, yeah, slap The Boys 2 on the end of that title uh, and make uh, it a sequel? Well, maybe, because if I were making a sequel to The Boy, my original instinct would be, would be to call it The Boy is Back in Town. Um, so, <laughs> so the fact that they didn't call it that means they must have like not realized they were going to make a sequel to The Boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's my thought process fair fair um but no i mean it is like you know it is brahms who was like it's the same doll as the original movie it's not like you know okay. a different one or anything um and instead and it's it is intricately woven into the story of the boy like it builds on like a whole myth it add, it tacks on like a whole mythology to that movie basically um interesting and basically it says like that twist that you loved at the end of the boy that's not what actually happened this is what <laughs> happened and it like completely negates everything that happened <laughs> with the Ugh. boy and changes it into something completely different uh and it's really dumb in that respect that said it's fine like <laughs> it's okay it's uh it's from the same director as the original movie william brent bell and i think he does a solid job of creating you know horror set pieces and things like that uh katie holmes is the lead of this movie and you know it's kind of fun to see katie holmes in uh, in a role like this uh lauren cohen was the star of the original uh by the way who was maggie in the walking dead uh so you know it's kind of a kind of cool to see both of them kind of in leading roles in these movies but uh yeah as far as like you know i don't know where they could go with a boy three at this point i'm sure if this one does well they'll make one but it's it's one of those things where it's like this feels like so creatively bankrupt as far as trying to like (laughs) figure out like how how can we make a sequel to the boy well if we make a sequel by just taking the same concept but changing it so it's completely different um but that's honestly what horror movies have been doing for years like the friday the 13th series it's basically the same way where it's like hey jason this was jason's mom she was the bad guy now it's jason and now all the movies are about jason (laughs) yeah right well we killed him again well we gotta figure out how to bring him back exactly well i guess he's alive now (laughs) yeah um so yeah brahms the boy too uh also want to give it a little bit of credit for um doing a the very unconventional sequel thing where the subtitle is the actual title of the movie like the lost yeah. world jurassic park yep. <laughs> you know it's brahms the boy too so yeah give it give it props for that that's kind of neat 
Um, but yeah, so as, as far as the horror movies that came out recently, Brahms the Boy 2 is the one above Fantasy Island, <laughs> at least. <laughs> I, I really deeply appreciate that Brahms the Boy 2 has so little going for it that it's... <laughs> It's un- it's unconventional title has to go in the pro column. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it, it's been a pretty like, you know, desolate month, I think. Like since like, I've seen a lot of movies uh, and since Birds of Prey and other than like Colorado Space, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, like it's been, you know, pretty quiet as far as like really great movies are concerned. That said, yeah. this final movie I'm going to mention in my discussions is one I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and it's a new anime movie from director uh, Makoto Shinkei, which is called Weathering With You. So, uh, I ended up getting fired. Because of me? It didn't have anything to do with the burger. Since I got fired, I needed the money. So, um... I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have... Uh... <gasps> hey. Does it hurt? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Let me guess. You ran away from home? Huh? It's pretty obvious. Too bad you can't enjoy Tokyo with all this rain. Uh, yeah. Come with me. Uh, and Makoto Shinkei was the guy who made Your Name a couple of years ago, which is a movie that I loved. And I am not an anime guy, as you know. I'm not somebody who yeah. really seeks out a ton of anime, but I remember when Your Name came out, it became a really huge hit. It was like an international big thing, uh, kind of crossed outside of just the pro-anime section of the world and turned into like, actually, this is actually a pretty good movie kind of thing. And so I watched Your Name and was like blown away by it. I thought it was great. Uh, and so the Roxy Theater, which is the indie theater near my house in Missoula, Montana, uh, they were showing Weathering With You uh, this past week, and I, I discovered that it was directed by Makoto Shinkei, and I was like, whoa, shit, right, I should go check this out. Uh, and it's very good. Basically, the plot of this movie is that it's about a Tokyo, it's, I guess it's like present-day Tokyo, but it's in a world where it's been raining nonstop for like three straight months, and nobody can really figure out why, um, but it is this kind of climate change allegory that the movie is going for. Uh, and this kid ran away from home, and he's living on the streets of Tokyo, ends up working for this, like, sort of newspaper thing, uh, and he meets this girl, uh, who has the power to bring the sun out for a very limited amount of time, and they go into a business together where they start bringing sunshine out for, like, people who want sunshine. Uh, so, you know, somebody has an event going on, they want the sun, they bring out the sun, or, like, kids want to play outside, they go, they, you know, that kind of thing, and they make money off of it, uh, and then it starts to get really interesting from there, actually. I really like this movie. I don't think it's as good as your name. Uh, but I think Makoto Shinkei is doing really interesting stuff uh, in the anime world. And I think making really interesting movies about the power of human connection and that kind of thing. Uh, the, the ending of this movie, I think, will be divisive. I was looking at reviews online, and that seems to be the case. Um, but I thought it was really powerful and uh, well worth checking out. So, yeah, that is uh, Weathering With You. So, nice. yeah, have, you seen, have you seen anything about this movie, Mike? I, I know it played, like... I think it's a 2019 movie, technically. Uh, I think it got, like, a one-week run in New York and L.A. or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It might have played, like, select theaters for, like, a day or two, like they do with anime movies sometimes. No, I haven't. I haven't heard of this at all. Yeah, I still haven't seen your name, either. Uh, and now that I'm thinking about it, uh, I'm going to put it towards the top of my 2C list, because it sounds great. Yeah, it is really, really great. And then once you watch your name, check out this movie, too. It's good. I know he has a couple of other movies that he can't made before your name, uh, which I have not seen. But uh, I will. I would like to check out pretty soon too. Yeah. So that's uh, weathering with you, and it even pierced my non-anime loving heart. So there is that aspect nice. of it as well. Um, but all right. So I think that brings us to the end of our discussions, Mike. Let's move on into our featured review of Color Out of Space. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. 
like a pink light, or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. It looks like a meteorite. You mean it's radioactive? I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. He's talking to me. Who's talking to you? All right, that was in the trailer for Color Out of Space, the new movie written by Richard Stanley and Scarlett Amaris and directed by Richard Stanley. It stars Nicolas Cage, Jolie Richardson, Madeline Arthur, Brendan Meyer, Julian Hillard, Corianka Kilcher, and Tommy Chong, among others. And the IMDb plot synopsis for uh, Color Out of Space reads, A secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, this is an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. So, yeah, we're kind of treating this as if this is an old episode of The Complete Works here where we would kind of go through the entire career and filmography of Nicolas Cage. Uh, so I wanted to just point out that there are a couple of Cage reunions happening here, Mike. Um, both Ooh. both he and Jolie Richardson were in Snowden uh, together, which I don't think they actually shared a scene together, but they were both in Snowden, so it counts. Uh, yep. And Julian Hillard, who is the uh, youngest son in this movie, he is the son of the actress who played Nicolas Cage's daughter in Drive Angry. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Boom! Wow. Wild, right? What uh, was Sean Penn's kid's Hunter Penn? <laughs> was it? I can't believe that's twice. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That kid was in Between Worlds, right? Sean Penn's kid? Yeah. Yeah, and Sean Penn was with uh, Nicolas Cage in uh, Racing with the Moon. Yeah, that, that's twice now that's happened. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even put that together. You're right. So that's wild, too. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Anyway, so on every episode of The Complete Works, what we always tried to do was introduce a little bit of context, kind of tell the story of what went into the making of the movie, uh, and especially how it related to Cage. Um, For this, I feel like we should really talk about director Richard Stanley, Um, since Color Out of Space is his first movie in over 20 years. Uh, And if you're not familiar with the backstory of Richard Stanley, in the early 90s, Stanley was a director on the rise, having made two horror films that were pretty well regarded. He made a movie called Hardware and a movie called Dust Devil. Uh, and he then got hired to adapt the H.G. Wells novel The Island of Dr. Moreau into a film adaptation, which did get made, I guess. I mean, there's a movie. It exists. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it ended up being one of the most disastrous shoots in modern cinema history. Um, Richard Stanley spent uh, four years developing the movie before it got the green light from New Line. Um, and then they actually tried to replace him in the pre-production process with Roman Polanski. Um, that's the thing they tried to do. Uh, because yeah. they would they fought with each other all the time, him in the studio. But then Marlon Brando, who starred as Dr. Moreau, he stood up for Stanley and was able to make the studio keep him on the project. And then um, they eventually were able to cast Val Kilmer in the movie, too. So you're thinking, okay, things are starting to get cooking. They're going to leave Stanley alone. Brand- Brando and Kilmer in the, th- in the mix. Let's do this. And then um, tensions between Stanley and the studio just kind of kept growing during pre-production. And then just before filming began, um, tragedy struck. Marlon Brando's uh, daughter committed suicide, um, Cheyenne Brando. Um, the result was that Brando retreated to the private island, uh, to his private island that he owned, and uh, not not the island of Dr. Moreau, the island, no. of, the, uh, the island of Marlon Brando. Uh, <laughs> but the, the result was that um, Brando retreated to this island, and no one knew when or if he would even come back. But filming started in Australia anyway, 
Um, and with Marlon Brando absent, um, Richard Stanley was a lot more vulnerable to the stu studio's demands. They had a lot more power over what they wanted, wanted him to do. Um, but then the biggest problem turned out to be Val Kilmer, actually, who showed up to set two days late, um, by all accounts, was really difficult to work with, pretty much an asshole to everyone who, who was on set. Um, at the time, he was being sued for divorce, which was, like, part of the, like, the mindset that he was in and that kind of thing. Uh, after about three days of filming, uh, where most of the footage shot was deemed unusable, uh, New Line fired Richard Stanley by fax, uh, by the way, not even, <laughs> like, not even in person. They fired him by a fax machine and replaced him with John Frankenheimer. And then the development of that movie only got much more insane from there. And there's whole oral histories and a documentary from 2014 you can check out if you want to learn more. But at the end of the day, the result was that Richard Stanley would not direct a narrative film again for a very, very, very long time. Um, he's made a couple of little scene documentaries, a couple of short films, uh, worked as a writer a little bit. But for the most part, the world has not heard much from Richard Stanley since the island of Dr. Moreau back in 96. Until today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or really until uh, December 2018, uh, when it was announced that Stanley would return to directing to helm an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation starring Nicolas Cage. And that's where Cage comes in. That's where this complete work structure comes back, Mike. Uh, so obviously, it all makes sense. Yeah, obviously, we had heard about this when the announcement struck, and we were hosting our Cage podcast already, so we got pretty freaking excited <laughs> about the uh, the prospect of Nicolas Cage doing an H.P. Lovecraft movie, especially directed by Richard Stanley, who, you know, it's kind of a cool comeback story for him, too. Uh, and this announcement came right off the releases of Mandy and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like, those movies had just come out, so it was clear that the cage sons was in full effect, and uh, we were very much here for it. Uh, do you do you remember how you reacted when you found out about the news, Mike? Do you remember like uh, what you thought? Um, not not particularly. I mean, uh, only because I don't didn't really have a connection. I didn't know the Richard Stanley story. Uh, I didn't really know anything about that. So I just remember uh, post Mandy being like Nicolas Cage in a H.P. Lovecraft uh, crazy adaptation. Like, what better match could there be? Uh, so I was excited on that level, but, uh, after learning the whole Richard Stanley story and all that, uh, I was very excited. Absolutely. Yeah. And an even better detail too, is that the movie was being produced by Spectrovision, uh, and involved a lot of the same names that uh, were behind Mandy, a movie we both really loved. Um, Elijah Wood also produced on both these movies. I believe he's a co-founder of Spectrovision. Um, and yeah. so the studio behind Mandy that kind of put that movie forward, they were also the one putting this together and it's an HP Lovecraft thing and it's Nicolas Cage and man. We were just so hyped. I was, I was really hyped for this one. I was, like, really excited for this. This was, like, the first indication to me that the Cage of Sons was going to last, you know? Because, I mean, yeah. after, cause after in 2019, which we have not seen any of the Cage movies from 2019, by the way, um, that's, a, <laughs> that's a lot of, like, you know, the same VOD kind of stuff that we've been seeing Nicolas Cage do <laughs> for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we have this movie, and we have word on this um, this really interesting other project that Cage is working on, the... Um, like the unbearable weight of massive talent or something or whatever it's called, but it's like something like that. Nicholas Cage playing himself, trying to get into a Quentin Tarantino movie or that kind of thing. It sounds wild. And I'm very excited for whatever that movie ends up being. Supposedly it's coming out sometime in 2021. And the rumors persisting now that um, national treasure three is somehow in the works or they hired a writer for it from Disney. So we'll see what happens with that. Plus, I mean the crudes too is still scheduled for uh, the end of this year. Uh, Let's go, baby. Yeah, so Crude's cast will return at, in some capacity. That's right. At some point. That's going to be our like December bonus episode is Crude's cast. <laughs> Crude's cast, I'm in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Colorado Space, it's here. We were both very excited for it. Mike, what were your overall thoughts on Colorado Space? 
my overall thoughts for Color Out of Space is what a fucking wild movie, man. Um, <laughs> I didn't really know anything what to expect about this. Uh, you know, I'm famously uh, unsullied, famously unsullied, and I didn't really watch any of the trailers. I saw the poster and was like, this is like something that would be in a college dorm under a blacklight. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yep. And it's it's wild. It's really cool. It's It's interesting that it's kind of just a straightforward like kind of serious take on an hp lovecraft uh mythology and it's it's the first time i think i've seen a movie where a character is wearing a miskatonic university t-shirt and it's like real in universe and makes sense for the character to be wearing that because it's not right. just like some kind of wink wink nudge nudge thing and i don't know it's just like there's a lot of stuff i mean i'm not very well versed like I, i've read some of the lovecraft things but i'm not one of those guys that's like deeply ingrained and i know all the stories and everything yeah. Um, so that was fun to just be able to pick up on some of the Easter egg things like that. Uh, but man, this movie just looks gorgeous. The the entire um, color out of space aspect, uh, like the color and what that looks like and that, how that's portrayed is amazing. Yeah, I just had a really good time. Cage is really good. Uh, everyone's amazing. Like, I don't know. It's just it's just a fucking good movie, man. You know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I really love this movie. I think the first half hour or so it was like a little iffy. And feels like a lot of the um, the VOD cage movies we've seen in recent years, where it's yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like the family just seems like kind of awkward around each other, and like it's not that remarkable. But then, as it starts to escalate and the insanity starts to grow, like I was pretty blown away by what this movie was doing by the end of it. Like I was, I was having such yeah. a blast, uh, and it, you know, it really like it's a weird kind of like it almost like, it walks like a David Lynch esque line between like offbeat comedy and shilling horror. Um, yeah, and I think does it really, really effectively. Uh, and like you mentioned, like, the actual color out of space effects, like the visual effects in this movie, are incredible and just very haunting. And they use color in ways that, like, I haven't. I, I'm not sure I've seen movies use color in the way that this movie does before. I, yeah. It feels like they created a new color for this movie. <laughs> I think they did. Um, I forget Richard Stanley uh, around the release of this movie did the rounds on the, the kind of horror movie podcast stuff. And uh, he I forget which one, but somebody asked him about it. It might have been Mick Garris uh, post. I think it's postmortem with Mick Garris. Yeah. Um, asked him and he kind of described the way I forget. I forget the exact technical stuff. But at one of these podcasts, Stanley described how what lights and colors they used to blend to get that color. So if you're interested, uh, go should go find it because <laughs> I yeah. remember it being really cool. And they like basically invented a new color, sort of. That's <laughs> which is wild. pretty wild. And I will check that out, I think. But yeah, it's like a mixture of like pinks and purples and all this stuff just kind of combined into one thing. And it just looks like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, and it's really, really cool on that front. Uh, I think Mandy is probably the quote unquote better movie, just like in terms of what it's saying and having a more consistent vision. But I feel like this is the movie that I'm going to end up watching more. Like as the years go on, I, yeah. f I feel like this is way more fun than Mandy. Whereas Mandy's like, you know, you sit down and you're, you're sitting in for like this whole experience, you know, like, and this movie is also an experience, but it's like more like a trashy horror experience also. Like, mm -hmm. whereas Mandy feels a lot more serious, I think. Yeah, I could see this being a midnight movie. I yeah. mean, Mandy, too. But this being like a raucous midnight movie um, right. versus Mandy being one of those like deep thinky midnight movies, if that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. I get it. No, I know exactly what you mean. So, uh, so Nicolas Cage is the star of this movie, Mike, obviously. Uh, and we've talked a lot about Nicolas Cage over the years. Uh, we started our Complete Works podcast uh, in June 2015. It took us about four and a half years to finally finish the Complete Works. And now, two months later, we're back talking about Nicolas Cage. <laughs> uh, we can't ever escape. But what did you think of Nicolas Cage in Colorado Space, Mike? 
Um, I thought he was great. Um, I, I thought Mandy w- might be the peak, but I think um, this might be a little bit might edge out Mandy for me as far wow. as favorite Cage performances. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's so hard. It's so it's it's also like not fair to compare it. To just only talk about it in terms of Mandy, but they are so similar uh, in that kind of like art horror movie starring Nicolas Cage with fluorescent colors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just more like overall. F- fun uh cage's performance and it's a little wackier yeah um in mandy we talk about that uh that like kind of bathroom freakout scene as like the one full cage kind of moment thing but right. still being really powerful and emotional and and cage has a lot of that going on in this movie which i'm sure we'll get to uh in spoilers but yeah i just i really liked it i just thought cage, uh, cage was was great yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is a blast in this movie, channeling all his uh, weirdo energy into a role that requires him to go very big, um, but also, you know, hit some emotional beats. I think he does those really well. Um, but the cage free guys in this movie, man, I mean, they're like, <laughs> like, this is like the movie. Yeah. If you wanted like, you know, just a sequence of like Nicolas Cage memes, like this is going to fuel you for the next 10 years on YouTube or whatever. This is <laughs> just wild stuff here. So I, I really enjoyed watching it for that reason. I think everybody in this movie, I mean, yeah, I won't say everybody. I think I think the kids are okay in the movie. Like the, the daughter is pretty good. I think the daughter yeah. is pretty good. The the other two kids are like, yeah, they're fine. I think Tommy Chong's having a blast in this movie. He's uh, <laughs> he like, just they just found him. He just happened to be there. I think. I think they showed up as Hut one day, and they were like, "Hey, Tom, you want to be in the movie?" And they just like filmed that Hut or whatever yeah. it was. Um, but yeah, he's just great, and it kind of reminded me of like the um of Bill Duke popping up in Mandy, where it's just like this one kind of yeah. cool veteran actor just showing up. <laughs> for like you know a scene or two uh tommy chong kind of showing up in this movie too um so he's great i think jolie richardson as the other uh, wife i really enjoy watching her because i haven't seen her do something like this i think since event horizon <laughs> wow which is like so that's uh, it's kind of cool like that's sort of a lovecraft you know horror movie as well uh yeah not really based on lovecraft stuff but you know there's you know there's definitely aspects of it and i you know it's a movie that i quote every once in a while i like my <laughs> i think one of my favorite lines ever in a movie is when sam neill says where we're going we don't need eyes to see <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, which is completely irrelevant what we're talking about. But Jolie Richardson was in Event Horizon. She's also in this movie, and it's kind of cool to see her back in that mode um, mm-hmm. in this movie. And I think she plays off Nicolas Cage really well, um, and she has some really crazy stuff that she has to work with um, in this movie too, which we'll talk about in spoilers. Um, but yeah, everybody, I think those all that stuff was really solid. Uh, now, how do you think, Mike, that this role fits into the roles that we've seen Nicolas Cage play so far? Uh, you know, in light of Mandy, though, I feel like this actually could possibly be the natural evolution of Nicolas Cage uh, <laughs> through his career. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if he can, if he can kind of carve out this kind of niche over the top har- art horror guy, right. Role, I think the cage will last till he dies. If he does this, <laughs> if he can make one of these kind of movies, like every once, every two years, something like that amidst all the, like the weird view, like the lame VOD action stuff or whatever, like his yeah. legacy will be secure. Basically. hundred <laughs> percent. Like I genuinely think if he can, team up with specter vision or whoever like if he if he can imagine he works his way into like an a24 movie oh god uh, I, that, I would, I would that'd be out. wild imagine like robert eggers <laughs> cast nicholas cage in a movie or something like that like oh, oh man god the lighthouse but with nicholas cage in the willem dafoe role like i mean i mean willem dafoe gave like my, one of my favorite performances last year don't get me wrong but like i really would like to see like nicholas cage do something like that too uh, I mean, did you see the cast for Edgar's uh, next movie? He's like one step shy of having Cage. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like Willem Dafoe again, Anya Taylor Joy again from The Witch, and then who else has been? Uh, it's like both Skarsgårds, uh, like Alexander both Hill Skarsgård. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, and one other person who I forget, but like a 10th century Viking revenge thriller. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. That definitely feels like um, 
You know, when SNL used to do the get in the cage thing, when Andy Sandberg as Cage would always ask, how am I not in that movie? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That feels like the kind of movie he would be asking that about, like a 10th century Viking right? revenge thriller that's, that has Cage written all over it. Uh, so Robert Eggers, if you're listening, uh, we don't have Cage's number, but maybe this will give you the idea to call, to find somebody who does have Nicolas Cage's number and give him a call. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Nicolas Cage is great in this movie, uh, and definitely feels like a, a companion piece with Mandy a little bit. I hope Cage and Spectre Vision make many, many more movies together, because they seem like they have the firmest grasp on how to use him out of anybody uh, working today. Yeah. Um, I also love that he's literally using the same voice in this movie as he's using in Vampire's Kiss uh, through a lot of it. Uh, which apparently, that's deliberate. It's not, you know, a, a goof or whatever. It's not Cage accidentally recycling stuff. Apparently, Vampire's Kiss is Richard Stanley's favorite Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, and he asked him to channel that performance when he was in this movie. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. And also a side note, Richard Stanley supposedly wants to make like a trilogy of H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. Um, oh, please, after this movie. please let yeah. this, please <laughs> let this be the new, uh, Stuart Gordon, Jeffrey Combs combo. Right. Please have Cage be in every one of them. I know it would be incredible. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that happens like fingers crossed, especially now that he's got so much, I feel like he's gotten a lot of goodwill based on um, how Colorado space is doing. I'm not sure how well it's doing at the box office, but like just in terms of critical acclaim, it seems like it's doing really well. So it's definitely, yeah. uh, hope, hopefully Richard Stanley will be back making more movies, more H.P. Lovecraft stuff. And, uh, I mean, the way that this kind of came together, Stanley has been, like, trying to make, get this movie made for a long time, uh, since, like, 2011 or something like that. Spectre Vision picked up in 2015. And then Cage, um, he, his dad, I think, was a huge Lovecraft fan, and I think that's why Cage wanted to do this. It's, like, sort of a tribute to him uh, and that kind of thing. So after the success of Mandy, you know, Spectre Vision was there, and Cage was there, and Richard Stanley was already with Spectre Vision doing this. And it's like, hey... It all just kind of came together, which is pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that relationship can, can continue for a few more movies because I would love that so much. Yeah. I think I remember also Stanley saying on one of those podcasts that he was on uh, that yeah. Cage wanted to be in Dust Devil when it first came out. Uh, oh, really? But, yeah, but it was like some kind of studio, like, oh, this is will be bad for your career thing, like one of those things, like where an agent yeah. wouldn't let him or some shit. I mean, that was 92. Uh, so that was what Cage was making as like post-Firebirds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh that i think that was, the, that was the year of honeymoon in vegas i want to say uh was the movie that the... something like that yes. yeah like that almost when was leaving las vegas now that was like mid 90s right that yeah was leaving late. las vegas in 95 i think he probably would have been filming like red rock west around that time like that kind of movie yeah so somehow they didn't let him be in it or so i forget the exact details but he was interested and like ever since then they've like had a contact uh so i'm glad that it came through here yeah uh, that's so awesome. hopefully hopefully they make more because yeah. man it'd be dope that would be great. And then also, I mean, just wanted to throw it out there, but Cage is like an unhinged dad is uh, something we've come back to a lot over this podcast. I yeah. Think, over, the, over the course of many movies. Uh, and this, this one in particular felt very reminiscent, and this is treading slightly into spoiler territory, but of mom and dad. Uh, oh, yeah. There was definitely like that, that like flew through my mind. Actually, I feel like there was a lot of Cage movies that were flying through my mind as I was watching this movie. And it's been like, you know, over two weeks since I've seen it, so like they're like some of them have left, but like Vampire's Kiss, Mom and Dad, and Mandy were definitely the ones that I was like, this feels like a lot like those movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, all right. Any other uh, pre-spoilers thoughts you want to get out there about Colorado Space Mike, or should we move on to spoilers? Uh, now nah, let's let's get into the good stuff. Okay, cool. Let's move on to spoilers for Colorado Space starting right now. Spoilers for Color Out of Space starting right now, and now I'm going to ask you the uh, question um, that I always ask you in the in these episodes, Mike. What are the scenes uh, or moments or whatever in Color Out of Space that stood out to you? Um, I mean, anytime the color is on screen, uh, yeah. that was such. 
it's so strange that this is like this kind of like beautiful pink purple thing uh color that was like gorgeous and amazing to look at yet so fucking menacing like anytime it showed up i was like no like oh bad shit like uh it's incredible (laughs) that the way that they can do that especially that scene um the moment or big, big scene at the end or towards the end, like after the big climax or whatever, we're on the farm and the, the right. guy and the, the sheriff shows up and we just have this strobing blue cutting through the, the, the color. Like I don't, it just looked amazing and I yes. wanted to be in that forever. Uh, yeah. as, as stressful as it was. Right. I mean, on a visual level, this movie's operating on like a different level than any other movie coming out right now. Um, also just want to throw out there that cage milking an alpaca and drinking the milk, um, should, should be up there with like the Mark Hamill green milk thing in the last Jedi. I feel like, and like oh, yeah. in the pantheon of great cinematic milking scenes, I mean, <laughs> it's really, come on, it's those two and nothing else, you know, I mean, that, it's, that's the way to do it. Uh, <laughs> passive aggressive milk drinking. Yes. <laughs> it's truly a, a dying art form. Yes, that's right. But yeah, so so we get about twenty minutes of like domestic life at the beginning of the movie, right? With Cage's family um, before the meteor strikes down. Um, you find out that Jolie Richardson recently had a mastectomy. Um, you find out that Cage's daughter is a Wiccan, and like the first thing we see is like her doing a ritual in the forest um, where she runs into the hunky water scientist guy, uh, <laughs> the hydrologist. Uh, yes, that's what it is. I'm going to call him the water scientist guy from now on, though, because uh, yep. that's what I had it written down as. Uh, Cage's son is a kid who smokes a lot of pot and uh, that's pretty much all that we know about him uh, and I think he has a girlfriend that he mentions at some point but we never see her Cage has another son um, the young kid which is the one who's the son of the daughter or the actress who played his daughter in Drive Angry um, who's also the kid from uh, The Haunting of Hill House he was in uh, that TV show also oh, uh, which, I've been wa- which I've been watching recently and so it was one of those things that was driving me nuts while I was watching this movie because I was like this kid looks so familiar and it finally clicked halfway through and I was like Hill House um <laughs> Imagine you screaming that (laughs) in the middle of like the Pax Theater. It was actually a pretty packed theater over at the Roxy too. And yeah, it was like, yeah, I was just in there in the middle. A guy went Hell House, and then my girlfriend looked at me like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Uh, Yeah, yeah, Uh, they they escorted me out. Actually, I've not seen the back the back half of this movie. (laughs) Oh no, you pulled the pin. I pulled the pin. Yeah, no, but he's a he's a weird little kid who only interacts with the family dog and that kind of stuff. And then. The shit starts to go down. I mean, the meteor uh, crashes in front of the house um, while Cage and his wife are having sex, and it's glowing, and it's all weird, and it gets struck by lightning, and that's, what, like, when you first see the color or whatever. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things, like, as soon as that happens, the movie slowly starts to pick up steam. I feel like, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get what it's going, but I feel like it's deliberate in its pacing, and it does it really effectively. So, like, you know, the fact that it's kind of a long buildup, not that big of a deal to me, because I, I, I was so on edge for so much of that time. I was yeah, what's going to yeah. happen and all that stuff. Um, and then just the way it starts to slowly infect everyone's minds, I found really effective. Like um, eventually it's revealed that it's impacted the water supply and that's why everything's like going to shit kind of thing. But like the alpacas start acting weird, right? Like they just keep leaving the place and like the, the barn they're supposed to be in, which I love the detail that they have. They have alpacas. It's one of those weird things. It's just like an added quirky thing. Like before all the weird shit starts to happen, they have an alpaca farm. Like why? <laughs> yeah, it's the animal of the future, according yeah. to Cage. According to Cage, yes. Uh, yeah, and I love that. Like I love that whole uh, like that first twenty minutes takes a long time. Like if compared to the the rest of the movies, especially. Yeah. But I love the like the way we establish uh, that these guys do not belong on this farm. Like these are city people. Cage right. thinks that alpaca milk is a thing that people are gonna buy. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and all this weird shit and like a pack of meat and like i don't understand right. yeah and then it just goes off the fucking rails and I, one of my favorite things uh, that actually reminds reminded me of the lighthouse uh, is that like the the lost time thing that happens uh, where like a couple times the sun will be like I I just put them like the alpacas like oh I just put them in the the barn and that came right. out and it's five hours later or whatever and stuff like that where like time is just jumping and nothing really makes sense anymore yeah uh, and that's just like impending sense of we have lost control of reality uh and we're <laughs> fucked basically yes absolutely like the alpacas symbolize how fucked things are getting also <laughs> yeah. which yeah and i love the the thing with the the moment with the daughter when when Al, when cage says that like oh well, the, you know the mayans knew and she's like yeah and they went extinct and it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talk about foreshadowing yeah there you go um <laughs> But yeah, and so like as it's happening, you know, Cage is starting to get more on edge. He's yelling at his family more and that kind of thing. Uh, but even like before all that, like like even before Cage starts to go insane, he already seems like a little unhinged. Uh, He's just like a fucking dweeb too. Well, it's so yeah. good. I think one of my favorite moments in the movie is like when they're having dinner at the beginning, and he's like, "And you get to do the dishes." <laughs> Yeah. you know it's just in that weird like cage cadence and it's like no no human being talks like this but Nicolas cage does and he sells it you know yep uh so yeah i love that and i think there's like one pronunciation of like they're alpacas or something that i really loved <laughs> uh using his vampire's kiss accent which obviously i wasn't doing correctly right there but like he does it and it's great yeah that was actually uh the thing that annoyed me the most about my crowd uh the audience i was with yeah uh as someone who's a cage kind of sewer, sure. um, no, but like who like actually kind of respects cage as an actor now, <laughs> um, anytime he used that voice, which is used to like show his character's growth and insanity, growing insanity. And he yeah. like, will switch back and forth mid conversation, but it's like two faced kind of thing. Right. Um, so like it's f- a funny voice, but there's like a reason for it. Uh, but like instantly every time it happened, full audience, like, belly laughs really? and i was like you guys fucking suck yeah um, i mean I, like, I get like, it like it's yeah. it's funny but you know what i mean like it's like, like every like, time it yeah, happened i feel like i was like laughing but like more just like i couldn't believe what i was kind of seeing laughing kind of thing you know what i mean like that's yeah i feel like that's the laughter that i had going and i feel like that was like there was definitely laughter in my audience but i, I like i felt like it was my kind of laughter where it wasn't like laughing at cage i guess it was laughing at like like oh my god i can't believe this is happening sort of thing and like sort of a nervous laughter maybe um yeah or whatever but also just like laughing at like the audacity of cage's performance and that kind of thing like it's <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean there's definitely some scenes but it was like almost every time that voice happened people like everyone laughed okay. i was like oh man like this is kind of annoying yeah i think uh, I, yeah i think i laughed at first in recognition because i realized it was the vampire's kiss voice like immediately and i was like oh my god he's doing it yeah um, not to be like pedantic about it but, sure of course but uh, naturally these uh, plebeians uh, <laughs> laughing at their nicholas cage um but yeah but so he's getting more on edge as the movie goes on the the little kids start staring at the well all day and um there's the scene where Jolie richardson um accidentally cuts her thumb off um oh man which is really wild uh it's one of those things where like you know what's gonna happen like as soon as it starts and it's like oh god mm-hmm. and then it finally happens and you're like ah it's it's intense <laughs> that's that's my that's my deep insightful criticism of the movie he's like and then you go ah um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that moment when uh, 
when when Jack Jack, the little son's like, Mom, like dad wants you. And she turns around and she's like, dinner's ready. And she's like <laughs> missing yes. all of her, her fingers or whatever. Um, that's what Mausoleum's like the whole time, by the way. Uh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Where's it? Yeah. I, I had forgotten the kid's name was Jack Jack, by the way, because when they when it, Jack, I think it was Jack Jack or maybe it was Jack. But well, they, they called, called him Jack Jack. Yeah. They called him Jack Jack. That's what it is. And every time they called him Jack Jack, I was like, oh, the baby of the Incredibles. Like every single time. <laughs> God damn it, Mike. But yeah, so she cuts off her thumb and they have to go to the hospital. And then, you know, that the weird shit starts to happen while they're gone. And the kids are alone at the house. And the kid's staring at the well for like hours and hours on end. And he's just sitting there. And the dog's just standing there motionless too and that kind of thing. And, you know, the uh, the phones go out and the internet goes out and all that stuff. And, you know, it's crazy shit is going down, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, and then Cage and uh, Julie Richardson finally come back home. And, you know, it's dark and the alpacas are out. And Cage's like, I thought I told you. To put out the alpacas and or you know all that stuff uh yeah <laughs> i don't know why my cage was british there for a second he's british <laughs> <laughs> um, i thought you were gonna break into the uh into the what national treasure into 2 the, <laughs> the national treasure 2 freak out Hackers! Uh, <laughs> but yeah so cage and jolly richardson finally come back and then you know things start to escalate a lot quicker once they do um, you know, Cage just being there and drinking the water and go, he's just slow going insane and he's yelling at the kids and everything and he's trying to eat a tomato and it's not working. Uh, <laughs> but then I, I, the most horrifying moment of the movie to me, and I'm sure to you too, this was just like one of those things oh, yeah. like, I couldn't believe I was watching this, uh, was when uh, Jolie Richardson goes to save the dog from the barn, right? Because mm-hmm. um, she hears it in the barn and she, she thinks like the Ataka's are attacking it or something and she and Jack or Jack Jack or whatever like she's like running from the barn and Jack Jack's like running towards her or something like that. Uh, and they're both struck by lightning at the same time. It's like, you know, colorful purple lightning or whatever. And then you don't see what happens to them for like a couple of minutes. Uh, and it's, but as soon as it happens and you see like everybody like running over and then you see their reaction to what they're like, like you're just seeing Cage's reaction and the daughter's reaction, the son's reaction. And you're like, like, you know, it's going to be horrible. (laughs) Like yeah. once you finally see it and the finally the slow reveal as the camera pans over and you see this weird fusion of their two bodies together in this horrifying mass. Uh, it is the most unsettling thing I've seen in a movie in a long time. <laughs> yeah. I think like maybe maybe since like hereditary, you know, like one of those things. It's like <laughs> I, I can't think of a movie that has like shook me to my core more than than since that basically. Yeah, that was uh, just a fucking beautiful moment yeah. from like exercise intention from Stanley of just we're going to show you everyone's reactions. We're not going to show you what's happening. We're going to change locations. They move into the house. Yeah. They're like, oh, get a blanket on them. And like and they just show you the back of the couch with like one arm sticking up. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> did did what I think happened happen? And then that yeah. slow reveal of now Jack's face is out of the mom's back and the, like uh. his art, like they're just all swished uh, together. And we're just, and it's like the thing level body horror, like yeah. grotesque uh, practical effects there. It looks like at least. Yeah. And the mom's performance from that point on is just like pure terror. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, and you mentioned the thing, this feels like the, the a carpenter influence feels like it's, you know, it worked its way into yeah. this movie, especially with those like practical effects and stuff like that. I mean, it looks just, like obviously horrifying, but also like in terms of the practical effects standpoint, it looks awesome. Like it looks so good, yeah. <laughs> but Especially, it's also like disgusting. Yeah. We don't get as good a look at the alpaca dog amalgamation. Uh, Cause right. that also makes an appearance. Yeah. That's and what, that was that's, when that's, I was like, Oh, this is the thing. 
Yeah, this, that was definitely like I felt like a thing reference almost, like just pulled straight out yeah. of that, like an eleven-headed alpaca creature or whatever with the dog kind of used yeah. in there too. And that's one you only see for like a second. Yeah, and then I feel like that, I feel like that one's more like a jump scare type thing where you see it and it's like holy mm-hmm. shit. Uh, and then, you know, Cage kills it with the shotgun. Yeah. But yeah, so the internet is down, the phones don't work, the car won't start, like, everything is, like, going badly. So Cage and the family, like, bring the that their body, which, again, is still living, this, this you know, yeah. horrible hybrid Talking. Of, of Jolie Richardson and the kid. Uh, and, like, sort of, like, making noises, and, like, they're taking water and things like that. And they're bringing it into the attic and trying to figure out what to do. That's when the alpaca thing happens, where they turn into, like, this weird 11-headed creature, so Cage kills it. And then, almost as the same with the mom and the son. Right, he like goes into the attic and like right after he kills the alpaca thing, and he's covered in blood. And like the daughter and the son like know what he's about to do, and they're and they understand, and they're like, like they don't want it to happen, but like they have, yeah. they really can't think of anything else to do, <laughs> you know. So it's like they're gonna put the them out of their misery and stuff, and then so the kids leave and Kate, they leave Cage alone with them in the attic, and then he is about to, and then he can't do it. Like at the last minute, he decides not to kill them. And that's the moment where yeah. Cage starts to get, like, more and more insane also. <laughs> like, yeah, well, so my uh, – did you notice this? It might be because it was two weeks ago. Uh, right before – so, like, he puts the shotgun to her head and he, like, decides to, like, say goodbye or, like, you know, I'm sorry or something. And he bends over and kisses her. Right. Uh, and when he pulls away, it's that, like, gross, like, basic uh, instinct. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that basic instinct? Stuff, Is that yeah. the movie? I don't think basic yeah, instinct. Yeah, like right. – <laughs> No. The, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. He kisses her, and they're, and like you can see the color sort of in their like spit, which is gross. And then he kind of he starts using the voice again, and then he decides not to kill her, and was like, "Oh, did he get mind controlled from the like the color? Like, oh, ooh, yeah, that that might be, you know? yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I dig that. But uh, and that is when the cage starts to really just go nuts, and uh, you know, as he starts to get more and more insane, he becomes like a bigger mess. The son, the son, and the daughter who try to escape, and then the son just like sees the color in the well. And he's like, ooh, I'm drunk. Or he's trying to, he hears the dog. He hears the dog and he yeah. thinks the dog's in the well. Um, and so he uh, kind of goes in there. He's like, as soon as he's like walking in, like, I'm going to go down this well. And everybody in the theater is like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's stu- and I love how the daughter is like, oh, be safe. And it's like, yeah. no, like, you know, it's not. Uh, Which, okay. Yeah. I think it was Cruel Intentions. Was that the movie, the Sarah Michelle Gellar movie? That's Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar's in Cruel Intentions. Yeah. Uh, that has like a gross spitty kiss in it. That's what I was thinking of. Don't okay. worry about it. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, but then back to the sun in the well, uh, when the color explodes out of the bottom of the well, he has time to take the welding glasses out of the pot of his pocket and put them on. <laughs> I mean, or hold them to his face. Yeah, I mean, my thought process there is like neither the son or the daughter are really thinking super clearly because of all the no. you know the water and stuff they've been drinking and the corruption. Like, like they, like they're not at their best. You know, no, I. That wasn't a criticism. I love that detail. Sure. <laughs> that the the color is like building and he's like gonna get disintegrated and he thinks to put the welding goggles on. <laughs> I love it. Yep. But then, yeah, he's gone, and so it's just the daughter, and then Cage actually, like, finds her and traps her in the attic with the mom-son monster hybrid. Um, oh, that moment. And she's, like, a giant spider creature now, or whatever, and it tries to, like, yeah. eat, and she's, like, trying to eat the daughter, and it's just, it's all kinds of fucked up. It's nuts. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, one of the things I appreciated most about this movie is, like, it's showing me shit that, like, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen some stuff like this in a movie before uh no that shot there's one shot uh when the daughter is in the and they're in the attic and and she's like mom and i forget i think the mom might say something i don't exactly remember 
but then it goes like uh, top down view, like you front of the cameras on the ceiling looking straight down and yeah. the mom crawls out of the shadow as a spider thing. Uh, yeah. uh, fucking terrifying. That was amazing. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. And uh, as a side note, um, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when um, water scientist man and the sheriff um, try to go find Tommy Chung. Yeah. Um, and they get there and Tommy Chong is like, you know, basically like a corpse like, or he's not there or whatever. Um, and they're, yeah. they're, they're, they start leaving the place and, and, you know, the water scientist guy's in the front and the sheriff's guy's in the back and a tree bends down and picks up the sheriff in the background while the water yeah. guy's not looking. And then he turns around like, where'd you go? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's so great. It's one of the, like, I was cackling in the theater because I was like, this is amazing. This is no good. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that you scene uh, reminded me a lot of Mandy, uh, which was kind of awkward, especially because, well, they go to Tommy Chong's uh, hut, you know, to yes. his hut, and he's got like a, this like recording of his own voice talking like he said he's like a zombie, he's like a like a desiccated, like dehydrated corpse. Yeah. Uh, and there's like a recording of him talking and it's all distorted and speeding up and slowing down. Uh, and it reminded me of that extended scene in Mandy when uh, Jeremiah Sand, is that his name? The character yes. is giving that huge long monologue uh, to, to Mandy and he's like his voice is like that where he's like oh, yeah. kind of double tracked and it's like this whole long monologue. So, yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> reminded me of Mandy. <laughs> that's, that's all. This scene's awesome and yeah. very unsettling in in Colorado space. Sure, definitely. Uh, and then so after all that, I mean, Cage ultimately kills the, uh, the mom son thing. Um, after like after that like whatever i don't know what's called yeah. like it's, it's just the mom's son spider hybrid thing yeah. um you know uh, until we think of a better name for it like francis or something uh, mm-hmm. so when cage kills francis <laughs> yeah you know he he goes in there and like he um like it's about to eat his daughter and then cage um, gets in there shoots her uh and then cage is shot like by the sheriff, I think. Yes. And then uh, he dies in his daughter's arms. There's that whole sequence where like they get there and Cage is like, what are you talking about? The family's right here. <laughs> and like yeah. that creepy scene where he's just like talking to an empty room when the sheriff's there like, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then sheriff, like the sheriff shoots Cage. He dies in his daughter's arms. And then um, she shares her vision of the color with the water guy. Cause at this point she's infected with whatever color shit is happening mm-hmm. um and so she like shares her vision of what's happening and this whole series of crazy shit that's happening and i don't think i can do justice to describing them here because it happens so fast and it's such a purely visual visceral experience but it's like going through outer space and it's going through like this you know color world or whatever it's nuts uh and i've been like finding myself like really desperate to go back and see that again specifically um yeah which luckily um it's actually out on blu-ray today uh, so I might be jumping on that soon. Uh, is all I'm saying. Nice. <laughs> right, I really want to see this movie again. It's really, really great. And then I even kind of dug like, you know, it's sort of wrap everything up voiceover when uh, water guy is there at the end, like, you know, where he's saying the name of the movie and it's like, I guess it really was a uh, color out of space. And he like puts the cigarette down <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like it had just a very like pulp noir vibe to it, which uh, I kind of dug from that. But uh, yeah, everything about that ending, Mike, I mean, I realized I kind of compressed like a lot of stuff into that last like 30 seconds um and what what are your thoughts on the ending of this movie yeah i mean from the moment that uh the daughter like shares her vision or whatever with like when her scars light up because she has carved the wiccan symbols into herself uh, right in an attempt to stop this i was like what the fuck that was amazing um and and the uh that kind of like battle at the end between cage and him but it's like color cage it's like the version of him in that weird universe 
and yeah. he sees the family at the couch where Cage says they were, uh, like that, like in the earlier when the room was empty. Yeah, I just really liked that whole thing. It was beautiful. And then the the kind of like big explosion at the end, and like the kind of dust clears, and I was like, is this is this in black and white? What is this? And then like he kind of like comes out of the the hole or the basement, uh, right. and I was like, this motherfucker is in black and white. This is so cool. Uh, and then that kind of like slow pan, uh, slow zoom thing or whatever, where like uh, this section of the world is now in black and white or of the forest. And I really like that. Um, I wonder if that is just the straight text from the story. It sounds like it might have been because uh, the movie opens with that also the voiceover and right. the kind of voiceover at the end uh, where it might just be that character reading uh, the narration from the story, which is dope if it is. I don't know if that's true or not, but. Yeah, it definitely seemed like it could be, but uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I, again, I'm, not, I'm probably less familiar with the H.P. Lovecraft stuff than you are, um, and you even said that you're not like as well versed in that stuff. Um, but it definitely seemed like it was probably like, part of, like the beginning and end of the Color Out of Space short story or whatever that it was. But yeah, so that is Color Out of Space. It is awesome. It's really, really good. <laughs> I am so happy <laughs> that, that I love to this say. movie. Yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts on this movie, Mike? Before we start moving on into uh, letterbox reviews. Oh man, we even have letterbox reviews. I know. Um, I'm working those in. It's a full, it's a full, complete works episode. Yeah, with like yeah, a bonus audience, discussions on top of it. <laughs> yeah, look at that. My uh, yeah, final thoughts is this movie fucking rocks. I am very excited uh, to one see it again and to hope that uh, Cage and Stanley uh, continue and make some more. Um, my my fear would be that like in the like kind of post Marvel era, like Cage can't possibly come back. Um, <laughs> But Stanley doesn't seem like the kind of person that would give a shit about that. So I hope yeah. I hope he casts Cage in some more and we get a couple uh, Lovecraft, uh, you know, a trilogy or whatever you said before. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be incredible. So, yeah, hopefully um, I'm hoping for more Richard Stanley stuff, obviously hoping for more Nicolas Cage stuff. And, uh, you know, he's got this out now and that other projects, which I mentioned before, the unbearable weight of massive talent or whatever sounds very promising. Uh, so if you can jump yeah. on board with another Richard Stanley thing, if you can jump back on board with Panos Cosmatos, do another Mandy type movie or whatever. Uh, I think the future's looking bright for Nicolas Cage. Plus, of course, he was just in Spider-Verse. So theoretically, he'll be in Spider-Verse 2. You never know. Mm, um, hopefully. That would be nice. But uh, anyway, yeah. And plus, of course, Croods 2, December 2020, Mike. Uh, set, yeah. set your, mark your calendars. Yeah, we're like 300 plus days until Croods 2. Like, mark that down or whatever. I'm going to set the timer on uh, on like my phone or something. Just have like <laughs> a thing go off until when I'm at like a 7 o'clock showing for the Croods 2. On like December twenty third, twenty twenty, I'll be there. Crude's casting it up. We should do, we, sh- go, we should baby. do like a live audio commentary of Crude's too. <laughs> Find a theater that will allow us to just like talk over the entire thing. <laughs> I don't know if that'll happen. Probably but not. If you're in but, New uh, York like an for uh, the holidays, or something like that. It's gotta happen. Yeah, if you're in New York for the holidays, we're gonna Crude's cast together. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. It has to. There's there's no way that can't happen. But anyway. Yes. Uh, all right, so Colorado Space, it's awesome. And then uh, if you don't listen to the complete works, then you might not know that after every review, we uh, talk, we see what the people have to say. And we look at some letterbox reviews uh, for the movie we're talking about. Uh, so we're going to do that right now before we start wrapping up this episode. So uh, here's a four-star review from Jacob Knight, uh, which reads, Like Richard Stanley rolled Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy films into a big, fat blunt, sprinkled some special dust on top, then had a demented Nick Cage spark up. Takes a minute to get rolling, but is unstoppably bleak once it hits, which nice. I think is very accurate. There it is. I think I also just remembered uh, there's a cutaway, I think, to the island of Dr. Moreau in this movie. Is there? There's like, a moment where Cage turns on the TV after all the craziness has happened, and it's Marlon Brando talking to somebody. Really? <laughs> um, 
I would assume it's the Island of Dr. Moreau, but I don't know if that's... Man, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't catch that, but uh, that would be really interesting if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, Justin Liberty wrote this one, who used to be the um, the programmer over at the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers, which we used to go to all the time back in the day uh, when I lived in New York. Don't anymore, and it's a shame. Uh, he wrote a three-and-a-half-star <laughs> review of Colorado Space, which reads... Uh, it took nearly three decades for Richard Stanley to make another narrative feature, but he managed to get four alpacas, a cat named G-Spot, uh, Tommy Chong as a paranoid squatter, Nick Cage as an amateur farmer slash bourbon connoisseur, <laughs> um, <laughs> mu- music by Burzum and Mayhem, and enough Lovecraft fan service to make even Stuart Gordon blush. <laughs> I'm, I might be old enough to retire when the next one comes around, but I will watch it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully he's not old enough to retire. Hopefully that movie comes out in the next two, three years, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully. Uh, here's one from Eli Hayes, who wrote, who gave it four stars and wrote, If Nicolas Cage reprises his legendary, inexplicable accent from Vampire's Kiss isn't a strong enough selling point alone, then I truly do not know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> also accurate. Um, yeah. Here's a four-star review from Andy Levy, which reads, Ah, it's been a while since a film not directed by John Carpenter capture the existential dread of Lovecraft, with the very notable exception of Alex Garland's Annihilation, uh, which this film shares DNA with, pun intended. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, they're very much different movies. For one thing, Annihilation didn't have Nicolas Cage portraying a descent into insanity by doing Trump impressions. (laughs) Uh, But they share a creeping sense of unease, along with the basic plot of something otherworldly coming to Earth and changing slash corrupting all forms of terrestrial life it comes in contact with. Anyway, if that second graph doesn't sell you on seeing this movie, I cannot help you. <laughs> yeah, the whole uh, the whole like weird plants growing out of the well and like the vines growing up trees yeah. and like all this weird shit going on. I was like, oh man, big time annihilation vibes. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I finally got one more here. This is a review from a user called Jack. Probably not the same Jack from the movie, but we cannot be sure. Uh, <laughs> he gave it four stars, uh, and he wrote: Nicholas Cage gives an all-time great performance in Colorado Space absolute batshit insanity he's an alpaca farmer who milks alpacas and then yells passionately about alpacas to his son (laughs) there are so many weird and wonderful things that happen in this movie that i don't want to spoil but can't wait to talk about it's full-blown lovecraftian horror uh brought to life in terrifying psychedelic ways thankfully without the racism uh (laughs) the family's an absolute the finale is an absolute trip cinema is saved nick cage has alpacas (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he also sang a song about acting during the Q&A and I'm still thinking about it great stuff great film nice. uh, now my mission in life is to find that song that Nick Cage sang about acting um, so if I found it I'll put it into the YouTube or I'll put it into a clip uh, in this episode uh, right here and if I didn't find it then sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> I eagerly await the episode to know if you found it or not <laughs> yeah you're gonna have to listen to the entire thing in order to get there uh, or just fast forward like an hour and a half in um, no, <laughs> no, you're a devout listener. Got to listen to every single minute That's of this podcast. Correct. Uh, all right. So that is color out of space. We really, really enjoyed it. And I guess this was technically a complete works episode, but it was actually Mike and Mike go to the movies. Uh, so Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD film blog on Twitter and letterboxd. And you can find me at M Smith film blog on Twitter, Mike Smith film on letterboxd or radio Mike sandwich on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to Mike and Mike go to the movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's my tree show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at Mike and Mike go to the movies at gmail.com. And you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture press alongside the review zoo, which is a podcast with all kinds of geek news and stuff. 
Uh, so in two weeks, we're going to be back with a featured review of The Invisible Man, which uh, reviews just started coming out for that today. I'm hearing great things. Uh, very excited for that movie. And uh, we'll possibly also be reviewing the new Pixar movie, Onward, uh, to go along with it. Uh, if we can squeeze in double. <laughs> what a double feature. <laughs> yeah, it's going from a very dark place to a very, like, uh, you know, fun little happy Pixar adventure. Uh, maybe, we'll, yeah. maybe we'll need it after The Invisible Man. <laughs> But yeah, so that's a possible double review we're doing, but if not that, then definitely The Invisible Man, I think, is the plan. And keep an eye out for the next episode of Jeff Goldblum, a Complete Works podcast, where we're looking at Goldblum's role in Robert Altman's 1975 American classic, Nashville. Very excited to uh, rewatch that one, and you're watching it for the first time, right, Mike? Yeah, I've never seen it. Uh, I haven't seen much Altman, so I'm excited to uh, get another one under my belt and see if... uh how i feel about it yeah there you go I mean, we were both big fans of the previous movie we talked about uh, california split on that podcast uh so i'm definitely yeah. uh, looking forward to rewatching nashville especially now having that in my mind and like again i feel like that movie like unlocked altman for me and i might be able to enjoy his stuff more now we'll see what happens but yeah nashville 1975 that's the new jeff goldblum movie uh, that we're doing and if you want to uh follow that podcast you can subscribe on apple podcast or follow us over at uh, goldblum pod on twitter uh, for all goldblum news and things like that. Uh, and that is the end of this week's episode of Mike Might Go to the Movies slash The Complete Works Season 1. Uh, we'll see you on the other side. And uh, also, what, what, what did I used to say? Uh, thanks for getting in the cage. Thanks for getting in the cage. That's it. Thanks for getting in the cage. It was like the podcasts were struck by lightning. That's what <laughs> <laughs>